Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Perfect. Hey everyone, Donovan Brown here with another episode of DevOps Interviews. I'm here with Aaron for what now will be what like your fifth time on the show. So, You're yeah. a record holder, man. No I one's like been it. on the show as much. I like it. And the reason you keep coming back is because every show gets tons of great feedback, tons of great comments. So I appreciate cool. you making the time cool. to come yeah. out and hang out. Happy to do it. All right. So one of the things that we talk about when we talk uh, do the DevOps transformation story is the way that the teams are formed and the fact that they can self-select pretty much where they want to work using something called a yellow sticky exercise. So I'm just going to go ahead and toss that up for you yeah. and give me an idea of what the yellow sticky exercise is, why it happens, and then I'll throw out some questions. Yeah, so the way to think about it is, um, you know, our, when we talk about a team that consists of typically like eight to 12 people who are co-located working together on a part of the product, right? And uh, we want to keep that team of people sort of intact for a period of time, maybe 12 to 18 months, okay. right? So that's what a team is. And what we've found, um, we've done this, I think, four times now over the past seven years, oh, is okay. when we want to reshuffle the number of teams we have and the charter of those teams, uh, we found a healthy way to do that is to facilitate this yellow sticky exercise, or what we call a yellow sticky exercise. And essentially what that is, is a process we go through where we're allowing individuals to pick the team that they want to work for or pick the team they want to work on, if you will. That's probably a better way to say it. So the, the simplest way to think about this is we'll assemble the number of teams that we want in a particular area. We have the engineering managers um, uh, selected for those teams, and we actually have the PMs selected for those teams. And then we hold like an all-hands meeting where those folks stand up on stage and get about 10 minutes to like sell their team. <laughs> so they're, they're talking about, you know, the charter of their team, what they're going to be working on. Hey, we're going to be like moving the Kanban uh, board forward or we're the Azure Repos team and we're going to be really invested in making our PR experience better. For, you know, those are just like examples. Sure, sure. Um, and, uh, and then after that all hands meeting, we have a, a, essentially a week or two long period where everybody indicates their first, second, and third choice of the team that they want to be a part of. And they do that with sticky notes in a big room where the, the names of teams are around the, uh, the uh, walls. So that's why the, the name is called the yellow sticky exercise. Gotcha. And then essentially what happens after that meeting is there's a bit of a sort of shuffling that goes on where we're trying to give everybody their first or second choice. Okay. And that becomes the way we build new teams, if you will, and um, you know, on a, on a regular basis, sort of rebalance the folks that we've got across the teams that we okay, have. Okay, so, but the teams, as you said, let's go back up a little bit for those who don't know how we build our teams. So we are a scrum organization. Yep. We run in three-week sprints, yep. and our teams are about eight to 12 people, one yep. of them being a PM, which plays the role of the program manager or the product owner. Product owner, right? that's right. And then we basically have a lead who's sort of the scrum master. I believe the scrum master kind of rotates in some of the teams. Yeah, too. I would just call them, we have an engineering manager. Gotcha, okay. okay. And, and then the, the people, the engineers who report to that engineering All right, manager. Perfect. And together, those folks are the team, if gotcha. you will. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. And then within that team, there will be a scrum master that works with the program, I mean, the product owner. Yeah, I would say within that, there's Scrum Master activities that happen, and they're working with everybody on gotcha. the team. Yeah. Right. And the other thing, I, I said co-located, but just so everybody understands that, that means that everybody on that team is in the same location, right. and they're all sitting together in the same room. Like right. we use team, team rooms, rooms here now at Microsoft, and all those people are in that same physical area. We do have you know, some remote people, 
but that's kind of the exception to the Nothing. rule. Got it. Got it. Yeah, in a, in a team room, everyone on that team should be able to fit in that room. But it's not the it's not the Facebook open space, 800 engineers. It's it's nice to where if you're in that room, you're working on that feature team, and you're interested in what other people in that room are doing. It's not everyone on the Azure DevOps team all in a war room together. Yeah. So the way the building we're in now, we we've moved buildings to uh, 16. Yeah, right? 16 here about uh, four months ago or so, and the shape of the rooms here are built to accommodate about like 20 to 25 people. So what we do is we put two feature teams in a single physical room. And for the most part, you know, those, those teams are teams that work very closely gotcha. together. And the, the idea behind that is that, you, yeah, you can just have conversations in the room and is it disruptive? At some level it's disruptive, but you're also disrupting the people that should need to be disrupted by those conversations, sure. if you will. So. Um, uh, yeah, that's kind of the strategy. Plus, they also have the focus rooms right outside those chain oh, yeah. rooms if you need to have a longer conversation or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the rooms, well. the facilities here, they've done a beautiful job with them. The, uh, there's focus rooms, there's, um, you know, small, like, conference rooms, yep. you know, built into those rooms. So, it's not like the only place you can talk is in the team room. Got there's, it. There's plenty of other places to go. Now, with the fact that the teams have to be co-located, you're, you're not, clearly not doing the sticky exercise over all 50 feature teams because right now, I believe there's four locations. There's Hyderabad, Raleigh, North Carolina, here in Redmond, Washington, and then somewhere in San Francisco. That's right. Right. Yeah. So the yellow sticky exercise is not all 50 feature teams trying to figure out who's going to work for them. How do you decide when and where these things actually happen? Yeah. So in each of those uh, geographies, we essentially have um, like a charters for each of the areas, and, and the products are sort of centered around each of those areas. So Azure Boards is here in Redmond mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, Azure repos and Azure pipelines, for the most part, are in Raleigh, but um, half of Azure pipelines is, is essentially in Hyderabad, in Hyderabad. <laughs> and then Azure test plans is in, in Hyderabad, Hyderabad yep. right? And Azure yep. artifacts is here in Redmond. So, um, yeah. So you know, there's first of all, each of the sites has a bit of like a, a character or a charter, if you will, that aligns with the products. And then when we're doing the yellow sticky uh, exercise, what we're doing is we're essentially reshuffling the people within one of those locations. So what we're not doing is saying, hey, you know, let's throw everything up in the air and allow people to move from Redmond to North Carolina to Hyderabad or vice versa, if you will. Uh, if people do want to move between locations, which happens all the time, that's just something that happens outside of this process. Okay. So if I'm in North Carolina and I really want to be in Redmond, you essentially need to find a role for yourself in Redmond, no different than if I were at Microsoft working on Azure DevOps and I wanted to say, hey, I want to work on Xbox, I need to go apply and find a role on the sure. Xbox team. Sure. Um, and and that, that sort of movement within teams happens all the time. Great. So it sounds like if I wanted to go, like you said, moving from the Azure Boards team to the Artifact team wouldn't be an issue because they're both located here they're, in Redmond. That's right. And there's no HR involved in this yellow sticky exercise at all. Yeah. And you don't really get a new manager even though you're on another team, right? Well, you do, actually. So what, what's going to happen here is when... But not from like a head tracks perspective, right? No, from a head tracks really? perspective. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, okay. So if you are, let's use the example. Let's say you're moving from Azure Boards to Azure Artifacts, mm -hmm. right? We have two teams that work on Azure Artifacts, and we have five teams that work on Azure Boards, for the most part. Sure. You know. um, we have two engineering managers on Azure Artifacts, mm -hmm. and we have five engineering mm -hmm. managers on Azure Boards. So if during that yellow sticky, you were on Azure Boards and you say, my first choice is to go work on the Azure, one of the Azure Artifacts team, you're essentially putting your name 
under an engineering manager that you want to work for. And sure. if we are able to accommodate that and make that a reality, at that point you are getting a new manager in Headtrax. Ah, Headtrax, for those who don't know, is the way that we actually show our HR hierarchy and organization. Yeah, it's, it's the actual Official. org chart. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So is there any time where I switch teams where I don't get a new manager in Headtrax? Because HR is really, I thought HR wasn't involved in some of this stuff. Well, well they're still not. I mean, we're just, oh. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're aware, right? But okay. I guess like involved, meaning like they're not they're not facilitating it. Right. There's so, no offer letter. There's no none yeah. Of that no, no. Stuff. So okay. at the end of the day, what we're saying is, hey, we've reshuffled our teams and our folks, and then you know HR is is involved in helping you know move people into those new positions, if you will, gotcha. and with their new managers. Yeah. Gotcha. And yeah. we still try to keep the teams the same size. So what happens when all of a sudden? There's a team over here who has 8 to 12, and there's a team over here who has 8 to 12. Now, all of a sudden, this wants to be 16, and no one wants to be over here. Like, how do you, how do you justify scenarios like that? Or rectify, I think is a better term. If, if, like, we had 16 people wanting to join a team and nobody wanting to join that team? Okay, so... Has it ever happened? Uh, it, it hasn't. So, it, Good. it hasn't really <laughs> ever happened. I think uh, I'll maybe answer the, the question a little bit differently, which is a question I often get is, you know, what do you do if you have a team that nobody wants to sign up for? And I think, to me, that's usually, um, it's a sign of one of two problems. Uh, one is the team has a terrible charter. And I think one of the, the changes that we've made over here uh, through the years is we try to align to have more vertical-shaped teams, which mm -hmm. means we want teams that own end-to-end -end capabilities mm -hmm. through our architectural stack. And we want to make sure we're not creating, like, UI teams and then you know platform teams, here, right? Yeah. Because uh, you know those are those are places where you can I think get into that trap a little bit yeah. of like, hey, this is a a team that does a bunch of grunt work that is always sort of being wagged by other things and they're yeah. never in control of their own destiny. Sure, that's not a team with a great charter, sure. if you will. So that's one thing to watch out for. The other thing is because you're picking the manager that you work for, if you have a manager that nobody signs up to work for. That's a people problem. Uh, <laughs> it's staring at you in the face, and right. it means that you probably, um, you know, shouldn't have that person leading a team if nobody wants to line up behind that individual, uh, him or her, as a leader. And sure. I, I often tell people that our engineering managers, they're not people managers. They are leaders. They are leaders in our organization, and they are technical leaders, and they are also um, sort of... Uh, um, you know, people leaders in terms of they, they are somebody that can uh, own a message for a team and, you know, hopefully get people excited about the why we're doing different pieces of work. And they should be able to articulate that and share that with the team. So that's yeah. something, those are qualities we look for in those folks. And it's extremely important because uh, your manager directly affects if you love or hate where you work. Absolutely. It's unbelievably powerful. The, they're, the, they're the person that has the most influence over the culture of the team, over, over anybody else. And I think what we're trying to avoid is sort of like the Dilbert style, like pointy hair boss, like <laughs> managers. Like, you know, we don't want people just like handing out work to people on the team. We want people leading our teams who are uh, motivating the team and getting people excited about the business opportunity and um, and then hopefully just organizing people so that we can run at that as fast as possible. Gotcha. So you said this, we've done this about seven times. No. Yeah. I think we've done it four, four times, times over a seven-year period. All right. Yeah. So that's about every 18 months? Yeah. And is that just like the normal cadence of when you do this? Do I know it's done by location, but is 
is it like, okay, it's yellow sticky exercise now and all four locations do it at the same time? Or how do you determine when each location has it? Yeah, so um, it, there is no perfect science to when we do this. I think I'll start with that. Like we've done it when it feels like we need to do it. And I think there what are, are the signs that, what are the signs? Yeah, that so I'll give you, you some of those. One is, you know, we might need to surge in an area. So like uh, a good example of this is, you know, back in the springtime of, of calendar year 18, we knew that we wanted to go big after sort of the pipelines opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we had build teams and we had release teams and we wanted to put those together into a new shape. And so we did a new yellow sticky just for the teams in Raleigh and for the teams in Hyderabad to essentially reorganize around that goal of having a, an Azure Pipelines product and one group of people who are sort of marching together, if you will. Yeah, I remember some people moving, like literally moving locations back then. Yeah, we had a few maybe that moved yeah. locations, but there was a lot of reorganizing gotcha. of the folks. And th that's a, a sign, right, when we need to go do that. So there are times when the organizational structure that we've created feels like it's inhibiting mm. doing the right thing. And so that's a sign. Um, and another sign is just, um, you know, when, again, when we want to like uh, surge in an area or rebalance, like we might want to go from five teams to six teams in an area. So rather than just spinning up a sixth new team, what we might do is um, actually spin up a sixth team and then run a yellow sticky to essentially assemble the people for that team instead of just robbing from sure. all the other different sure. teams. Let's just go through the whole exercise of letting everybody have a chance to switch. Now, interesting, because uh, when you were talking about earlier, like you, you said the leads have already been identified, the PM has already been identified, and now they're off and they do their rah, 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 pep rally, you want to yeah. come work for my team. When does the lead get to choose that they don't want to lead that anymore? When do they get their yellow sticky exercise? Um, I guess, uh, yeah, <laughs> when do they do that? Yeah, because it's like, I don't want to freaking be the lead for this anymore, right? I've well, been the lead for this for 20 years. Yeah, right? that, that, that would be a, a conversation with, like, uh, with your director. And I guess it's just, <laughs> it's it's not something that we do through sticky notes. I, I guess that would be a better way to answer it. Yeah. All right, so, so like, um, hmm, I wonder what happens there. And, and those things happen all the time, too. But, oh, yeah, yeah for but, sure. Because I've, I've That's just on, people management. Yeah. yeah, again, because I've written software for 20 some odd years. And eventually, if I have to write this, work on the same project, for one more day, like it just like you yeah. just can't see that same code anymore, right? Yeah. You just get to that point. And I'm thinking, being in lead for something like that, eventually, like if I have to freaking prioritize another freaking feature for repos, I'm going to freaking go crazy, right? And so. there's times for folks when it's time to hey, step down. I don't I don't want to be a lead anymore. I just want to be in an individual contributor role and 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 do more of that. And you know that ebbs and flows with time. I, I will share that one of the I think the interesting things about this is. We've done some analysis on how many people move when we do this. Okay. And what we've found, and this might be surprising, is that when we go through a yellow sticky exercise, um, about 80% of people go right back to the team they're already on. So essentially, 8 out of 10 people aren't changing teams. However, I think they, um, they come out of it feeling better because they were given choice. And mm -hmm. I know you and I talk about you know, the book Drive a lot in our, in our uh, you know, the various talks we give in. Um, giving people uh, the ability to have what we call autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And uh, this is a great exercise where you say, hey, give them autonomy. Let them choose what they want to do. Mastery is they get to get very, very good at it. And purpose is hopefully they're signing up for something they believe in. Correct. And again, even if somebody doesn't choose to change teams, 
I think they see elements of autonomy, mastery, and purpose show up during this exercise. Not to mention they take ownership of that decision. That's right. Yeah. right? I remember when I first started doing Agile, we would have our architect go off and estimate all the tasks, yeah. right? Because they're the architect. Yeah. And then people would get these and like, I can't do it that fast or that's too long. And like, they yeah. wouldn't take ownership of the estimate, so they just ignored it. But when we said, that's stupid, and we let, you, let the engineers actually give the estimates, even if they were wrong, they freaking made that right, right? They would stay late, yeah. they would do whatever, because they took ownership of those numbers. And it was amazing that, again, that ownership, that, uh, that autonomy to, to make this decision, it empowers them to do the right thing. Their estimates eventually got better, but it was interesting to see them not just say, this is ridiculous and be mad at the estimate. Like, man, I made that estimate. I own this now. Let me go do the right thing. Yeah, it's a great example. And a lot of people, you know, when they hear about how we're structured and they talk about engineering managers, they'll say, well, what does the engineering manager do? Is that the person estimating for the team? And I'm <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Like, the team is estimating. Like, right. if, you're not, if, you're not able, if you're not the one estimating how long it's going to take you, like, you, you're doing it wrong, right? That is like the Dilbert pointy hair. That was us. That was us. So the first time I did it. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it's got to be it's got to be something that people have uh, say in and that ability to uh, to participate in. And I think that this process does it. Another thing um, I think that's kind of interesting about it is um, we we do place some people ahead of time. So a lot of people say, well. You know, what do you do with those like rock star folks that you need in certain areas? You can't have somebody leaving this area because they're so important. And, and we all know those folks, like we have them. I would say that even ahead of the sort of exercise when we're giving everybody choice, you do go to a lot of the key people and make sure that you've got them placed in a place that they are highly valued and a place that they wanna be. You, you need to make sure that they are secure and that you've got them well balanced because those are those are folks that even if they're not, um, you know, sort of in an org chart perspective managers, they are people that others want to work with. And so we go do place those people ahead of time, and they value that. They, yeah. you know, they don't feel like they get gypped. They still get a lot of choice. They're just given choice, kind of behind the scenes, sure. if you will, sure. to make sure that they're in the right space, right. the right spot. Yeah, I'm a manager for a little over a year now and I've noticed that people come to me like well I think I could do good here I think I could do here I was like I want you where you want to be yeah right I, I'm sure you could have an amazing impact over there right because you're good at that but what do you want to do like what are you passionate yeah. about what gets you on the edge of your seat when we start talking about that topic that's where I want you because that's where you're gonna do your best work so yeah keeping that balance and making sure they're happy it's it's become a, a, a skill that I've had to develop right yeah. it's not like I know I can get great work out of them over there like that's not that's not where they need to be she or he needs to be where they're passionate about that's what right. they're working on yeah. and that's where you're going to get the most out of them too. Yep. So it's really important too. So we do in this yellow sticky exercise but then people leave yeah. and people hire on. How do we, I mean that's just normal stuff, right? That's normal stuff. I mean we have people um, you know coming and going throughout the org um, all year long. Like that's just just like any other company or organization. So um, I think that really doesn't play a role in yellow sticky. What yellow sticky is, is the people that you've got in your org, you're essentially just reshuffling them and rebalancing them based on what's needed. And you might have you know, somebody um, start on the team you know, a month after you've, you've rebalanced, and that's sure. okay. And you might rebalance, go through the yellow sticky, and then three months later, you have somebody leaving the organization or, or changing teams. That's just normal. And it's interesting, you were, uh, the statistics, I've heard those numbers before that 80% of the people go back to the team that they were on. And I, I would have to assume that a lot of that's because each one of these teams has their own little culture, right? And, and you, you're comfortable there and you, and you like that. 
and they just kind of gravitate towards what they're comfortable with. And it's really good, though, that we do have people leave because now we have this cross-pollination of experiences and perspectives that's really powerful and important. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, we want people working on things they care about, like you talked about, um, and we want them to be in a culture that they enjoy and, and I think are contributing to, if sure. you will. So, yeah, I think a lot of times when you see people going back, it's because, you know, they might love the engineering manager they work for. Mm -hmm. Um, they feel like they have unfinished business in terms sure. of, you know, hey, I, I started this thing and I want to see it through to the end. I really care about it. And those are, you know, attributes that, like, we love, right, we gotcha. look for. So uh, going back to the team you're on is a, uh, it's not a bad thing. In, in many ways, it's a good thing. Sure. So if, if kind of curious, so what led, because I have a lot of questions on, like, so why did you even start doing this? How would we implement this at our organization? Yeah. So what tips and tricks? And again, what was the catalyst for us? And then what would you suggest to people who are trying to do this for the first time? Yeah, so uh, the first time we did this was quite a few years ago. I was actually around back then, but it was uh, Chris Schaefer, who's a good friend of mine, still here at Microsoft, was one of our test managers at the time. And um, he had this idea for reshaping our org, which he pitched to our leadership team. Brian Harry was leading the team at the time. And um, he got Brian excited about, hey, let's go try this. It sounded super, super crazy, but <laughs> he had read about it, you know, I think in some other, um, some other organizations. And so um, I think that was back in like, I don't know, like 2012 or whatnot, oh, okay. was when the first kind of grand experiment was to go do it. Um, and then we've done it, yeah, like I said, four times over that seven-year period since then. How's so. it changed over the over the four years? How, what have you learned from the first time you did it? To yeah, good questions. Time? I think one is um, we've learned to be very upfront with people when we're doing this that it's coming mm. because it can create a little bit of anxiety sure. for folks that, hey, we're going to reshuffle teams. And, you know, that is in some ways uh, mm -hmm. destabilizing mm -hmm. things for people. So we're just upfront with people. Um, I think we've gotten much better at the mechanics in terms of like, hey, we need to have a really um, good meeting where we share charters and you can't have every team go up and talk for a half hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And you don't want every team talking about like just, you know, where their team room is and in location to like the bathrooms and the popcorn <laughs> machine. Like it's about the why of what they're building. So, you know, I think we've gotten a lot better at that. Um, and then. I'm sure there's some like little things that we've learned to do better along the way, but those are the big ones. What, would you encourage this for anyone who's writing software with, with, with a multi-team type of scenario? Because again, we have 50 of these feature teams yeah. that work together, but it, you can't reshuffle a team of one, obviously. I mean, not a team yeah. of one, but like one team in an organization. But if you're working on a suite, is this something that people working on a suite of things should work on? Like who should be even considering a yellow I mean, I, I guess I would consider it if you're if you're thinking about how to reshape your organization and you want to infuse um, uh, some semblance of like purpose into people and you want to like maybe break the culture from what it is, I think this is a great way to go do that. Okay. Um, it's, it, it challenges you to think about the, the purpose of each team and the charter of each team. It challenges you to think about your engineering managers and, and their leadership qualities. Um, and then I think it really taps into, like we've been talking about here, the, the purpose mm. and the why and getting people to sort of self-select for what gets them out of bed in the morning. Sure. So for us, it's been very, very healthy. I agree with you that, you know, in our world where we have lots of people in a big suite, I think it works really, really well. If you've got a lot of people spread across a lot of different products, it might be harder to do something like this. Exactly. But I think there's there's also different flavors of it out there that aren't 
you know, maybe um, quite as uh, disruptive as this one or might not feel as disruptive. And I think you can experiment with all those. Yeah, because I know the timing of when you do it is, is not a, it's not a recipe. But I also think, what is the disruption? Like how, like, we, obviously for that three-week sprint, because it happens, because yeah. since we sprint nonstop, yeah. it's happening in the middle of a sprint. Like what is that doing to our ability to deliver? What is that yeah. doing for like, it has to have some disruption. Yeah, so it's going to slow you down a little bit for sure. I think um, what we found is when we do it, we're very clear on um, once we've got it sort of organized and, you know, shortly after you have to sort of say, what is the date? Like, what is the sprint boundary where we're all going to go like move? And then literally people are moving their desks and getting reorganized. Yep. And then typically, even though we've reorganized, we will have like one to two sprints um, later where people are still doing sort of handoffs or are staying with like one foot connected to their old organization gotcha. or their old team to make sure that, you know, things aren't just getting dropped. And, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot, that our teams, um, they are responsible for like live site of their features you and wrote support, it, you wrote it. yeah, in production. And so those are things that you have to make sure are shepherded through this process. And you, you can't let those things be, um, diminished or damaged gotcha. by, by doing it. So you do have to be careful. Yeah, it seems like it's that's that's a multi, that's a, that's a long, from the time you commit to doing this, like you have the all hands, you do your raw, raw pep rally, people go and make their decisions, that's like within a week later, yep. right? Then you gotta go decide, okay, when are we gonna exercise this? And then you have that tail of, yeah. did we get the transition over? I mean, we're talking. There's a chunk of time there. Yeah, yeah but I think the key is, investment. you wanna be, I would, I would, um, I think it's it's great to have a lot of lead up to it so people understand that it's coming. I think once you've reestablished who the teams are, you want to move quickly. You yeah. don't want that to be like a long period of time where, hey, we know what your teams are going to be, but now work in the same model for the next two to three sprints. Like gotcha. that feels kind of broken. So you want to have a, a short queue there or a short period of time. Uh, but then you're right. You have to then kind of manage the transition after you've made the switch. And uh, I, I think we've learned how to be thoughtful about that. Cool. But it, this is definitely, I remember you and I had a, a talk about feature flags, multiple of them. And I was like, there's a cost to this. And you're like, yeah, but there's no way we're going back, right? The yeah. cost is far outweighed by the benefits. Yeah. And would you say that's the same with this too? Because we just, we just identified that's a long period of time. But it, it sounds like since we've done it four times and we're probably going to do it again, that the benefit that it gives to the teams, the way it revitalizes them, and why it gives the people the purpose, this is it's well worth the cost. Yeah, I think we've learned that it is. I'm sure we'll continue to adapt it and change it as we go, but I think we're gonna stay invested in giving people a choice of what they work on. We think that's like foundational, yeah, I think, I to our culture. And so whether or not it's exact yellow sticky the way we've run sure. it the last four times, hard to say, but I do think um, in some way, shape, or form, we'll continue with this process, yeah. Awesome. Well, hopefully that answers all the questions. I think that's all the questions that I've been getting through telling the story. Did, have you gotten any other questions around this? Well, I was going to say, we've got, uh, Brian Harry wrote a blog, a great okay. blog post on this a couple of years ago. We'll post the URL to that in the show notes. Awesome. Um, there's some great learning there if you want to just go read that, which might uh, fill in some of the gaps. So. Awesome. Well, always a pleasure having you, man. Cool. And I hope that we record a whole nother dozen of these things because uh, it's always a blast. Looking forward to it. Thanks, right. Donovan. Thanks so much, everyone. See ya.